Yeah. Thank you, Grant. Uh, yeah, kind of going off what Grant just shared, like, I was just before service sitting up there thinking, uh, if you went back in time and told 18-year-old me in eight years you're going to be working for a church, you're going to get up occasionally and, and preach out of God's word to people, I would have, like, just laughed in your face because that was not me. I was so uninterested in Jesus at that time. And, and thinking back to 18-year-old to me, um, what I was interested in was myself. Like, I feel like my life back then was so just me-focused. Uh, my relationships were me-focused. The things that I did for fun were just so me-focused. The way that I thought, my, my future dreams were just all about myself. And honestly, that, that led me to destruction, you know, because I don't think we were created to live that way. I don't think we were created to be consumed with self. And, and it destroyed me. Like, I got to a rock-bottom spot, and that's when I met Grant and, uh, and decided to start following Jesus. And, and looking back at the past eight years of my life, one of the things that I'm most thankful that Jesus has done in my life is he's freed me from myself. And, and he's even like, he's just shifted my perspective from being one of me, me, me to like, you know, God and others. And I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm still pretty selfish and I, I fail often. But like, I don't want to live for me anymore. I don't, I don't really, I, I just want to live for Jesus now. And that has been so liberating and so empowering, like the purpose that comes um, when we step into a relationship with Jesus is incredible. And it's, we become people that are outward focused rather than inward focused. And that's really what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, the, the scripture I have in 2 Corinthians is a very like outward focused scripture. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to jump in and just read the scripture and then, and then we'll pray and, and get into it. So today we'll be in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 through chapter 3, verse 3, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read it all right now. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need a some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I'm going to pray. God, you're amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. Holy Spirit, you're amazing. And we just confess that we need you in this life. I just see that if, if we live this life on our own, we destroy ourselves. If we live this life for ourselves, we just destroy ourselves. But Jesus, when we submit to you and we encounter you and we follow you and we live in relationship with you, it's, it's life. Um, so God, today I, I just pray that you would push all of us towards that second, that second option. God, we just, we want to fall in love with you more. We want to know you more. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come, you'd speak through me, 
uh, you'd speak through your word, and you'd just be glorified and honored today. In, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to work through this scripture, like, section by section, okay? It's gonna be, this is going to be a very simple message today. Um, and I want to start with verse 12 and 13. And, and before I, I reread those verses, I'll just say that sometimes, like, revelation can come through the tiniest little details in scripture, right? Like, the, maybe even context, like just understanding context or understanding like small details of what's going on can actually like create space for the Holy Spirit to give you really powerful revelation. And that's why like studying the word is so important, right? We should be students of God's word. We should be people that study God's word and, and really try to listen to him through it. And these first two verses are an example of two verses where like if I'm just reading my Bible, you know, skimming through it, like I'm not going to get hung up on these verses because they don't seem that special. But, but this week as I was preparing, like, God really just spoke to me through these, these two first two verses um, just because I, I did the hard work of trying to understand what it is that's actually going on. So here's what they say. It says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So when I, when I see those verses, uh, the question that comes to my mind is why did Paul, like why was his spirit not at rest because Titus wasn't there? I have no idea. You know, like why? Why was Paul not at rest? So last week, uh, Grant made reference to this letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. Not the letter of 1 Corinthians, a different letter. It was a, a one that we don't have, right? And it was a letter that was very confrontational where Paul was, like, calling out the, the church of Corinth on their sin. He was challenging them. And it was a hard letter. And, and we see that. Paul talks about this letter multiple times in the book of, of 2 Corinthians. And we see that it was, a, it was a challenging letter to write them. And so scholars agree that Paul actually sent that letter with Titus. Okay, so Paul wrote this letter, gave it to Titus, and said, go deliver it to Corinth. Paul was expecting to meet Titus in Troas. But Titus was not there. Right? Paul was expecting to meet Titus and, and get, get news of how this church of Corinth had responded to his confrontational letter. Right? He was eager to hear, like, how, you know, did they listen to me? Did they repent of the sin that, that it's in their life? And he didn't know because Titus wasn't there. And it says that this caused Paul to have unrest in his spirit. What does that reveal? That reveals that Paul deeply loved and cared for these people. He cared for them so much so that not knowing their spiritual state caused him restlessness in his spirit. Now, I want to just dive deep into that, okay? So as I was reflecting on that um, earlier in the week, I felt like the Holy Spirit just, he took me to two scriptures. One of them is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And what's going on here is Paul is like running through all of these challenges that he's faced as a, as a missionary, like, he talks about being stoned, being thrown in prison, being shipwrecked, being whipped, all this stuff. And he caps it off in verse 28. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul is, is, is throwing the, the pressure that comes from, from, like, the anxiety he feels about all the churches right in there with being put in prison and being stoned. Like, Paul cared so deeply about these people. And in the flesh, you know, for us, I feel like anxiety is usually us-focused. You know, like we're stressed out about our circumstances, the things that we got to do, things that aren't going well in our life. But there's this type of holy anxiety that Paul had. 
where he loved a people so deeply that he was disturbed in his soul by their, their separation from Jesus and not knowing whether or not they had repented. That's a, that's a type of anxiety that comes from radical love. Paul had a radical love for the, the people that he fathered spiritually. Radical love. I'll say this. Paul was a man possessed by love for other people. And that's the first big idea I want to get at today is that, that us as faithful Christian servants ought to be possessed by love for people. And you might hear that word possessed and think like, when I hear that word, I just think of demons. You know, like possessed, demons, like those two things kind of go hand in hand, right? But, but that's, it doesn't just have to, to be associated with demons. I think that there is, there's this idea of being possessed by, controlled by the love of God. And that's actually what we're called to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 15 says, the love of Christ controls us. You could plug the word possesses us in there. Same thing. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls us. Paul was controlled by the love of Christ. When he didn't know the spiritual state of, of these people that he loved, he didn't have rest in his spirit. He had anxiety. He, he felt pressure. He was controlled by love. Uh, last week, Abu, my friend Abu was here. He's from South Asia. He's a missionary. Um, if you weren't here, you missed, you missed it. He's awesome. Um, I actually met him in, in South Asia about six years ago. And I've just learned so much from him in the time that I've known him. And, and Grant actually made reference last week to the fact that he knows people that have been killed for the gospel. And, and he, he does, right? He does. So uh, when I met Abu six years ago, I went to this country, and um, the team that I was working with had just had, like, one of their workers murdered the year before. He was, he was killed for the gospel. He was killed um, by extremists because he was a Christian, and, and that just really moved me. I never met the man. His name was Yusuf. I never met him, but I met a lot of his friends. And, and he was really close friends with Abu. And just this last week when Abu was here, he gave me a detail about that story that just rocked me. And I didn't know this, but he told me, he was like, John, uh, two days before Abu died, he called me. And he said, or two days before Yusuf died, he called me and he said, um, people are coming after me. Like, I'm getting death threats. There's people telling me that if I keep preaching the gospel and if I stay in this area, they're going to kill me. And Abu was like, Yusuf, I, like, we, I will come up there and I'll get you out of this, this area. Like, I can take you and your family. We have a safe house. Like, we can, we can protect you. We can get you to a safe place. And Yusuf was like, no, I can't do that. And Abu, like, started pleading with him. And he's like, why not? You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're getting death threats. Like, we don't want you to die. We want you to, to live. And, and Yusuf said, this, this is in Abu's words, he said, Abu, if, if I leave this place, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to come back. And if I don't preach the gospel to these people, who will? And two days later, he was pulled out in his front yard and shot in front of his wife and kids for the gospel. Like, that is a man possessed by love. That's the love that Paul had, where he would, he'd go into a city, and it's like, he knows there's a good chance I'm going to leave this city with scars on my back. There's a good chance I'm going to be thrown in prison. There's a good chance I'm gonna, my life's going to end after this point. And, and you know what he did? He did it anyways because he was controlled by the love of God. Controlled by the love of God. Possessed by the love of God. A faithful Christian servant is someone that is, is driven by and possessed by the love of God. 
I said there were two scriptures that God, God revealed to me as I was reflecting on this. The second one is Romans 9, 1 through 3. I'll read it and then explain it. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Man, so what's going on here is Paul is actually speaking of the Jews, right? His, his kinsmen, the, the people that, that shared the same ethnicity and same religion and same, like, history that he did, the Jewish people. Paul was a Jewish man, but he, he was a Jewish man that decided to start following Jesus. And the reality is most of his Jewish brothers did not. Most of them rejected Jesus. And you know how that made Paul feel? It gave him great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. That means constant anguish. Paul carried a constant anguish in his heart because his brothers, his kinsmen, rejected Jesus, the, one, the only one who can save. His anguish was so intense that he actually gets to the point where he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother, brothers. Paul the whole idea, we talk about this often, the idea of like counting others more significant than yourself. Philippians talks about that. Like Paul actually lived that out. He, he wanted, passionately desired what was best for other people more than what was best for himself. To the point where he said, I would, if I could do it, I would give up my salvation. If it meant my, my fellow Jews would be saved. Paul was possessed by love. Paul so cared about the spiritual state of people that it caused him unrest in his spirit. That it caused him sorrow. It caused him unceasing anguish. I think many of us, when it comes to other people's spiritual state, we're indifferent. Right? We're indifferent. We just, like, don't really think about it that much. You know, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. Like, I, I work for a church and I, I love my job. I love getting to disciple college students and do evangelism on campus and, and just bring the kingdom of God here. I love it. Um, but there's times, man, God convicted me of this so hard this week. There, there's, there's so many opportunities that present themselves to me where I, I have an opportunity to, like, step in and be loved to a person. You know, like, I, I, I see a situation or a need arise and... and um, it's really clear, like, how, how I could step into that and be the love of God in that situation. And sometimes I do. But sometimes the first thing I think of is this is inconvenient. This is inconvenient. This person has a need. They really need me. They need, really need Jesus. I feel the conviction to, like, go and do this, but it just feels inconvenient. Man, that, that convicted me so hard this week because thank God that Jesus— wasn't steered and directed by inconvenience. If anything was inconvenient, it was him leaving his throne and coming to the earth, suffering and, and dying and paying for our sins. But he didn't see us as inconvenient. You know, he just loved us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He was possessed by love. Paul was possessed by love. And I just, I, like, I repent of that. Like, I, I don't ever want to see a person or a need as inconvenient. I just want to be a, a man that is possessed by the love of Jesus. You know, when you, when you look at a person, sometimes, like, 
I'm on campus almost every day of the week, and there's times where I'm walking, and like you just see the floods of people, you know, just hundreds of people walking down Main Street, and occasionally, this doesn't happen that often, but occasionally I'll just like catch a person's eye, and God will just kind of nudge me in that moment and be like, that, they're either going to heaven or hell forever. There's no in-between. They're either going to be with me forever or they're going to be away from me forever. And you can do something about it. And I'll say that to you. Like, when you're, when you're walking and you catch a person's eye, like, re- recognize that. They, they are going to spend eternity somewhere. You know? And, and you can do something about it. That should be so challenging. And, and I, I just, like I said, I've said it 15 times already, but I want to be a man that's so controlled by the love of God that I do something about it. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And that's my question to, to myself and to all of us this morning is, will you, will you be spent on the souls of other people? Yeah, I, I want to say yes. I want, I want that. I want that. I want us to be a church that says yes. God, spend us on reaching people, on, on going and trying to save the souls of people that are heading for, for destruction. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. So first thing, a faithful Christian servant is possessed by love. So Paul, his, his, his spirit doesn't have rest. He's discouraged, right? But he, he picks up in verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So he says, but, thanks be to God. Why, why is Paul thankful to God? His spirit doesn't have rest, but he's thankful still. He's thankful to God. Why is it that he's thankful to God? It's because we are always being led in triumphal procession. So my question is, what is triumphal procession? When I, when I hear triumphal procession, I think, like, victory. You know, it sounds victorious, triumph, you know. But it's so much more than just the idea of victory. A triumphal procession is actually an event, Right? A triumphal procession is a Roman victory parade, okay? So it's a, in, in, in Roman times, when Rome was ruling the whole world, uh, what they would do, they, they were um, a kingdom that was constantly on conquest. They were constantly overtaking other kingdoms. And what they would do is they'd go into a, a village or a city or, or whatever, another kingdom, an opposing kingdom, and they would destroy it, right? But they would take the leaders, the king, or the, the people that were in charge of that kingdom. They'd shackle them up. And they tie him to the, the back of the chariot of the Roman military general. And they would march them all the way back to either Rome or the, the, the city that they were in, the, Rome, the Romans were in. And they'd march them into the city and there'd be this huge parade, this huge like festival going on where they'd burn incense and they had all these rituals that they did. And they would march these captives into the center of their town, town square, whatever you want to call it, and they'd execute them. That's what a triumphal procession is. You know, it's kind of crazy. It's an event. It's a, it's a thing. And, and Paul's audience would have known exactly what a triumphal procession is. But in this triumphal procession, the spiritual triumphal procession Paul is talking about, Jesus is the general, right? He's, he's the one on the chariot. We're, in, we're on his team. You know, we're in his kingdom. And we're following him towards this victory celebration that's going to take place in his kingdom, and you know what it is that's chained up behind Jesus? All of his enemies, right? Sin, your sin, my sin, death, the devil, evil, all of these things are chained up behind Jesus. He has overcome them 
right? But, but he hasn't fully executed them, but he will. And we're on his team, and we're following him. We get to be a part of this awesome victory parade, and that has Paul fired up. He's thankful that Jesus is leading us in triumphal procession. And he, he invites us, Jesus invites us into the victory that he achieved through the cross and empty tomb, which leads me to my, my next point, and it's this, that a faithful Christian servant is victorious, always. A faithful Christian servant is victorious, always. Not because we're strong or we're awesome or powerful, but because Jesus is strong and awesome and powerful, and he invites us into his victory. This should produce some, something in us. I think it should produce comfort and confidence in us. The fact that we have victory through Jesus should produce comfort and confidence in us. And I'm going to talk about those two things. So comfort. What's the worst thing that can happen in our human experience? I would say it's the end of our human experience. It's death. Death is the worst thing that can happen in our human experience. But look at this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the, immortal, or in the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has become victorious over death. He has defeated death for us. Like, I, I like to think of, of uh, passing into this next life more as a graduation than an end. Like, when, when, when our, you know, when our clock gets punched and it's time for us to go, we're graduating. Like, we're stepping into something that's way better than this. Praise God, he's defeated death for us. Like, we have victory in Jesus. There is so much security that we can have as Christians because of this. And, you know, we, we live in a world that's desperate for security, right? Like, pe people's whole life, our whole social structure, I feel like, is built around just trying to become as secure as we possibly can. So we have retirement plans, and we have insurance, and we have just all this stuff because we're so obsessed with security. Well, we have ultimate security. Because if the worst thing that can happen to us is a graduation into something better— that's security. That's awesome. Praise God, right? When you have this perspective, it should make everything else in life, like, seem small. It should seem as it should, really. Like, when, I, when I'm thinking about this, the fact that I have victory over death in Christ, and I'm going to spend eternity with him forever, I'm going to look at him face to face someday, that makes the car problems I'm running into seem kind of small, right? Because who cares? I'm going to be with Jesus forever someday. There's so much comfort that, that comes in that. You know, even when, when circumstances beat you down and life gets to a spot where it's really hard, and that's going to happen for all of us. Maybe some of you right now are in a spot where your circumstances are not great. Things are not going well in your life right now. You have ultimate victory in Jesus, though. You do. But with the triumphal procession, something my brother shared this with me, and it always stuck, to, stuck with me, you know, this, this idea is that Jesus has his enemies chained up behind him. He's got the devil chained up behind him, and he's on his way to this impending execution, but he can still do one thing. There's one thing he can still do, and it's, it's talk. It's lie, right? Jesus calls him a, a deceiver. He's a liar. He speaks the language of lies. 
And I think that the devil tries so hard to get us to look at everything else rather than the victory that we have in Jesus. He just wants us to look at other stuff, to look at the, the bad circumstances we have going on in our life. But if you're a Christian, the battle's won. Think back to Yusuf. Like, did he win or lose? He won, 100%. If you were to talk to him right now, he would say, yes, I won. I'm with Jesus. This is amazing. So the victory we have in, in Jesus should also lead to confidence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the next verse in that 1 Corinthians 15 bit that I read a minute ago. It says, verse, in verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This, this victory that we have in Christ should inspire us to be the most bold, the most courageous, and the most mission-minded people on the earth. We, we've found victory, and the rest of the world is heading for defeat. But we can show them the way. We know the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if we're in him, we can have so much courage and boldness. Because we, we know. We know the path to eternal life, and it's a man, Jesus. Confidence. Confidence. The victory we have in Christ should lead us to confidence. And that, that leads me to my next point. I'm not going to talk about confidence too much because I'm going to get to it here. So um, picking up in verse 15, back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 15. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So we're being led in triumphal procession. Um, let me see here. And through us, God is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, and, and we are the aroma. We are the aroma of Christ, which is my third uh, point I want to pull out of this scripture, is that a faithful Christian servant is the aroma of Christ. I've, I've always loved this scripture. Um, I always like, looked at it and, you know, just thought this kind of meant that Christ Christians give off this, like, metaphorical good smell to other Christians, and we metaphorically smell bad to, to non-Christians. And that is kind of what it means, and I'm going to talk about that, but, but it actually, the, the primary thing that it means is something different. It's something different. The word that aroma, the word aroma that Paul uses here, and just the language that he's using here is actually borrowed from the Old Testament, and it's connected to the, the whole sacrificial system, Right? If you've read Leviticus or any, any of the Torah, really, you're probably familiar with a phrase like, we, we burned the, like, burn the, the sacrifice on the altar and it will produce a pleasing aroma to God. That's all over the place. Aromas. Like, the Old Testament's constantly talking about aromas. And Paul's borrowing this language from the Old Testament. He's dealing with the same idea, but he's saying we are actually the aroma to God. Right? If you look at the scripture, he says we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. So first and foremost, we're an aroma to God. When does that happen? How does that happen? Are, are we an aroma to God when we call ourselves Christians or we go to church? No. No, we're not. It's, it's think back, think to the Old Testament example I'm talking about. It's, we, we are an aroma to God when we become a sacrifice, right? When our life is laid down as a sacrifice, that's when we become a pleasing aroma to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
This is the call for us as Christians, to lay our life down, to not live for ourselves, to be a living sacrifice to God. And what happens to a sacrifice? It burns. That's what would happen in the whole Old Testament. They'd make this sacrifice, they'd put, it on, they'd put parts of it on the altar, and then they'd burn it. And then it would produce an, an aroma. So for us, like when we get to a spot where we lay our life down as a sacrifice to King Jesus, what happens is we burn, right? Like the Holy Spirit starts to consume us. The love of Christ starts to control us. And you know what happens when, when we burn? We become a pleasing aroma to him. Our life laid down as a sacrifice to God, it pleases him. I, I want to make God happy. If, if there's like anything I can do in this life, I just want to make my Father in heaven happy. I want to please him. And the way we can do that is by being a sacrifice. And so we are first and foremost an aroma to God, but we're also an aroma among people, as the scripture says. And it says to some people we smell like death, and to some people we smell like life. Think back to the triumphal procession. You know, they had this Roman victory parade. They'd go into the city, and one of the things that they'd do is they'd burn all this incense, right? And the, the air in the town would just be full of this smell, this aroma, this incense. And that smell meant two very different things for the, the two different audiences that were present. For the Romans, that aroma meant victory. It meant life. It was a reminder of the power of their kingdom and their dominance. But to the captives, that aroma didn't smell good. That aroma meant impending death. It meant our time's almost up. That aroma was not a, a thing that they wanted to smell. And, and when, I, when I look at my life, I think of, like, back before I met Jesus, um, like, how, how did I just, how did I think when I was in settings with Christians or in settings like this? And the first two things that came to my mind are I, w I felt irritated and scared of death. When I was around Christians, when I was around the aroma of Christ before I met Jesus, I was, I was irritated and I was scared of death, which is such an interesting combination. But those are the two things that I felt around Christians and around church and around scripture and around conversation of Jesus. It smelled like death to me. I didn't really want anything to do with it. But, but I look at my life now, now that, that um, Jesus has captured my heart, and it's like the, the aroma of Christ is amazing to me now. Like I live for this. I live for, for settings like this. I live for you know, conversations with Christians where we just get to speak about life and truth. And as Christians, we're called to be the aroma of Christ. That's our call, to just be, to be the aroma of Christ. But I think oftentimes what we do is we like, we put up this filter and we try to, to only be the aroma of Christ to people that we think we will smell good to. And that's not our job. Our job isn't to evaluate how we'll be perceived by other people. It's just to be who we are in Jesus, regardless of, of who we're in contact with. You know, we just moved into a new neighborhood over on the west side, and um, we're called to be the aroma of Christ there, you know? And so we, phone's buzzing, laptop maybe, whatever. Um, and so we've gotten to know a lot of our neighbors, and, and we've shared Jesus with a few of our neighbors. And uh, a few weeks back, we were on a walk, and there was this guy, like, on the side street in his, uh, in his, his truck, and he just starts talking to us, and we strike up a conversation. I think his name was Bud, 
And, and as we're talking to him, I start to feel a little bit of conviction. I kind of feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, like, I want to I wanna move in this guy's life. So I'm just trying to listen, really listen to God and listen to this guy. And, and so we're talking to him, and he starts to, to tell us about all these health problems that he has going on. And I'm like, okay, I'm, great opportunity. I'm gonna, I believe Jesus can heal people's bodies, so I'm going to try to pray for this guy. And so I'm like, bud, um, do you believe in Jesus? And he, like, his complete, his demeanor completely changed. He gets so straight-faced, and he looks at me, and he goes, we're not going to talk about that right now. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. I just stepped on something. I don't know what it was, but I smelled like death to that guy. Like, the aroma of Christ to him did not smell good. You know, but then we have another neighbor. His name's Curtis. He lives right next to us, and he is amazing. And we talk about Jesus pretty often, and, and you know, there's a, a few weeks back, he I saw him get out of his car, and he was just, like, hobbling, like, could barely walk. And he gets up to his porch, and he sits down. And I, I come outside, and I'm like, Curtis, are you all right? Like, and he has about a bunch of knee problems and just had gotten some, like, shots in his knees. And I was like, well, can I pray for you? And he just was, like, so happy that I asked him that. And he, like, gets up in pain and, like, walks to the fence just so I can pray for him. And, and I pray over him, and he was just so encouraged by that. And I look at Curtis, and it's like, okay, to Curtis— I smelled like life, you know? Two, two different people perceived me in two completely different ways. But my job isn't to figure out who I'm going perceive, to be perceived well with. It's just to be the aroma. It's who we are. That's the point, just be. You know, we, we as Christians, we really need to come to terms with the fact that as, as Jesus people, we are outcasts to the world. We don't need to be like the world. We're not normal to the world. Like, there's so many things about following Jesus that do not fit into the world. Like, the world just looks at it and thinks it's absolutely ridiculous, and that is okay. That's okay. 1 Peter 2.11 calls us sojourners and exiles in this world. It means that we're just passing through. Like, we're here temporarily in a temporary body, I think it's Philippians or Colossians says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, we belong somewhere else. We're here temporarily. And I think that we, we, we like, so often we, we take these standards that the world has and we apply them to ourselves, and we think that we need to be normal, we think we need to fit in, we think that we need to just look how everyone else looks and live lives that are similar to how everybody else lives, and it's just not true. We are called to be consecrated and set apart and altogether different. We're called to be the aroma of Christ, and to some people it's going to smell good, and to some people it's not. But that's not up to us. I was, I was speaking with a student a few weeks back. It was just a kind of a random little conversation, but um, I was thinking about it this past week, and they were talking about how their, their roommates, like, they're just in a situation where they're trying to follow Jesus, and their roommates are, like, not at all. And they're just living in a ton of sin and going crazy and partying a bunch, and, and this student, like, felt pretty discouraged because their life just looks so much different, and they can tell that, that they're perceived in a specific way by their roommates, and it's uncomfortable, right, when it's, like, one on five, like, you're the one that's different, and the five are not, they're all the same, like, it's uncomfortable because we want to, we want to fit in, but I, I looked at this person, and I encouraged them, I was like, you should be hyped, like, this means you're doing something right, it means you're set apart, you sh your life should look different, and we should be controlled by love, yes, but our life should look different. If our life looks exactly like the world, then we're probably doing something wrong. 
We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be the aroma of Christ to the world. The world needs Jesus, and you have him. So is there an aroma to your life? Do you smell like Jesus? When, someone's, when someone encounters you, do they get to experience the aroma of Christ through you? Ever. Right? And I get it, you know, there's like, we've got stuff to do sometimes, and it's not like every single person I come in contact with is going to encounter Jesus through me, but like, do people ever experience the aroma of Christ through you? And if the answer is no, maybe God's asking you to sacrifice something. Maybe there's a, a way where you're not living as a living sacrifice to him. And I'd encourage you to just ask him. If you ask that introspective question and are like, am I the aroma of Christ? No. Ask Jesus, why not? Like, what needs to shift? What needs to change in me so that I can represent you and reflect you well to the world? Maybe you need to sacrifice the fear of man. Maybe you need to sacrifice looking how the rest of the world looks. Maybe you need to sacrifice comfort. Maybe you need to sacrifice sin. Maybe there's sin in your life that's just holding you back. I don't know what it is, but ask him. Ask him, Jesus, how can I be more of your aroma to the world that I live in? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the, the last part of the scripture. Picking up in verse uh, 17? Yeah. Yes, 17. Okay. Paul says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need a some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So this scripture, it leads me to my last point, and, and it's this. A faithful Christian servant has pure motives. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's getting at his, his motives. As Grant has talked about the past couple weeks, there's some tension between the Corinthian church and Paul. They're a little bit skeptical of him. They're skeptical of, of his motives. And there's even some conflict, you know, because Paul is being confrontational, and they are uncertain about his motives. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to the past two messages but here Paul, I think he's kind of defending himself, and he's trying to help them see the sincerity behind his motives. And he, he starts talking about letters of recommendation. And what he's getting at there, so something that used to happen in this time is that missionaries, when they would go to a new town, they'd oftentimes be, bring with them letters of recommendation from other missionaries or, or church leaders. And those letters would be used to establish their legitimacy and their authority. But what Paul is saying here is, you Corinthians are my letter of recommendation. And he's saying that because he started this church. He partnered with God to plant the church in Corinth. So their mere existence is a testament to Paul's ministry and the purity of his motives. Like he didn't get anything from them. He didn't milk them for money. Like he didn't use them at all. Like he, he went there because he was led by God to go there. Um, and he loved them. They're his spiritual children, and in his work with them, I think there's, there's really two motives. Um, and I think for us, there ought to be two motives. Maybe, maybe there's more, I don't know. But uh, I think there's really two motives that Paul worked with. Um, and you see them come up here, and you see them come up in the whole rest of the book of 2 Corinthians, and really all over the whole New Testament. But I want to get into these two motives. 
um, because a faithful Christian servant has pure motives. The first one, verse 17, Paul says, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. As commissioned by God. Why was God speaking to them? Because God told him to. Like, why did God go plant their, that church in the first place? Because God told him to. Why did God write the letter of, of confrontation that he'd sent through Titus? It's because God told him to. Paul was a man that obeyed Jesus. Like, he's a man that did what God said, and I think that that was his motive. Like, that was his, first and foremost, his motive was obedience. Plain and simple. God's commands, whether they're from Scripture or whether it's conviction from the Holy Spirit, they, they are commands. They're not recommendations. I think a lot of times we treat commands from God as recommendations. We're like, oh, yeah, like you feel this strong conviction to go do something, and you're like, maybe I, maybe I will, maybe I won't, I don't know. No, like when God tells you to do something, he's telling you for a, a clear reason, Paul got this, and he was willing to obey God's commands, even if it got him into hot water with people. Like, he, he was more obligated to obey God than to, to care about how he was going to be perceived by people. That was his motive, was, was obedience. I, I love talking about obedience. It's a challenging thing. Um, there's, there's scripture in, in the book of John. It actually says that, that um, our love for God is deeply connected with obedience to him. Like, if we love him, we will keep his commands. And, and I don't want you to hear that in, like, a legalistic way where you're like, oh, I need to do all this right stuff. And if I do all the right stuff, that, that, then I love God. No, it's like, when we love God, we'll obey him. We'll listen to him. It's just like marriage, you know. If I love my wife, I'm going to listen to her. And I'm going to value what she says. And if she asks me to do something, I'm going to do it and vice versa, right? That's how it is with God. When he asks us to do something, like, we, sh we should obey him. And if we don't understand, like, the why behind his command, that's okay. Grant gave a really good example. I don't know if it was last week or the week before about just sexuality and, and sexual ethics and the idea. And I, I felt this, too, like, when I first met Jesus. It's like, why does it matter if I go and, and sleep with a person if I really love them? It didn't really make sense to me. And, and Grant got into that and did a really good job. But it's like sometimes, even if we don't understand, we just need to trust what God says and do what he says. Right, if he puts a conviction on you to, to go share the gospel with someone and you don't like totally understand why or it makes you feel really afraid, just looking at the situation and saying, okay, God, you told me to, the do, to do this, so I'm going to do it. That's good enough. That's a good enough reason right there. Just simple obedience. I think simple obedience was, was Paul's motive. And I think the second, there's another one too. And I, I've already talked about this. And it isn't really elaborated on in, in these specific verses, but it's, it's everywhere, and it's, it's love. Paul was motivated by love. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is, is writing a letter um, to this man that he has, you know, discipled. It was like his spiritual son. And right at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 5, he says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge is love. What he's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, the thing that needs to motivate us is love. Like, we need to be aimed at love more than anything else. Paul was possessed by love. I think he would have he, he done anything for these people. And it's like, I just, I want to be like that, man. I want to just be a person that is so motivated by pure 
genuine love. He said it's, it's love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I think that we can just, we can, like, in this life, just be aimed at all the wrong stuff. Like, you're aimed at something. Your life is pointed towards something, whether you like it or not. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's the idea of having a family or getting married someday. Your life is pointed at something. And I'm just telling you, the best thing your life can be pointed at is love. Obedience and love are so tied together. Jesus is asked at one point, what's the greatest command? And this is what he says. The greatest command is this. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. God is love. says that in 1 John. Let's just let's be a people that, that the aim of our charge is love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And worship team, you can come up. Jesus, I thank you that the aim of your charge was love. And, and had it not been, I think we'd still be stuck in our sin. Had it not been, I think that we would, we would pass from this life and we'd stand before the creator of all things and we'd have to answer for all of the crap that we've done. But Jesus, I thank you that, that you sacrificed your life for us. Like you laid your life down because you love us. You became our sin so that we could become righteous. And I just, I thank you. Like, what can we do other than just say thank you? Thank you, Jesus, for loving us that way, with that kind of love. And Jesus, we just, we want to be a people that are controlled by love. For the world, this world is passing away. It's temporary. Everyone that we know is going to die someday. And as I said earlier, they're either spending eternity with you or away from you. Jesus, we want to be a people that are so controlled by love that we do something about it. We want to be people that are so controlled by love that we are willing to be the aroma of Christ. Even when we smell like death to people. We want to, we want to love people that much because, Jesus, you loved us that much. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, just come and do a work in our lives. Come and do a work in our lives. God, help us to just be a sacrifice. Help us to not live for ourselves anymore, but to just die to self and live for you. You're worthy, Jesus. You're, you're, you are so worthy. We love you.